Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. So good morning, good morning. Welcome to the happiest place on earth. Disneyland, second. But do you know, wherever the presence of God is can be the happiest place on earth. So you can steward that in your home, amen? Your home can be the happiest place on earth because that's if the presence is there, it can be the happiest place on earth. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We just thank you that it's a joy to be children. It's a joy to be a son. It's a joy to be loved by our good father. And God, we just pray for your love to just break through all of our strongholds, anything that we've believed wrong about you, and just to come right into our heart this morning. And we just thank you, Father. I just give you my message. I just pray that you just edit it as needed. And I just thank you for it, God. Let your kingdom come in this place through this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is so awesome. <laughs> Jesus is so awesome. My name is Pastor Daniel, and I love Jesus. Jesus Christ is our rock, amen? amen? He is our rock, and Jesus is the rock, amen? He is the rock. In Psalm 89, 26, I shared this scripture about three or four weeks ago, and it's a really unique scripture in the Old Testament, Psalm 89, 26, and it's God speaking about David. So it's interesting, David is writing about God speaking about him. And he, and he says this, he will cry to me. This is what God's saying about David. He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Now, this is God revealing to David what was to come. God is the father. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have the revelation of God as a father. And this is one of, I think, three verses that mentions God as father in the Old Testament. And so God has given him revelation of what to come. He says, you're going to say, God is my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And Jesus, how many know, is the rock of our salvation? So even in that, God is giving David a glimpse of what's to come and that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. So how many are happy that Jesus is the rock of your salvation and you're not? <laughs> if Jesus is the rock of my salvation, I'm depending on his righteousness. I'm depending on what he did on the cross. I'm depending on everything that he did for me. Amen? And I'm not depending on myself. If I'm the rock of my, of my salvation, I'm in trouble. If you're the rock of your salvation, you're going to always feel discouraged, never measuring up. But when you know that Jesus is the rock of your salvation, you can rest in what he's done. He paid the full price for you. Amen? Your salvation is 100% secured by what Jesus did on the cross. It's not dependent on your performance and on what you've done. It's dependent on Jesus, who is the rock of your salvation. Amen? So I want to read some scriptures out of Luke chapter 20. And uh, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard. And I want to give you some context leading up to the scriptures that we're going to read. We're going to read about three or four scriptures. And one scripture, the last one we read in Luke 20, is going to be the key scripture for, for what the Lord showed me today. 
So I want to give you some context. So Jesus is getting ready to refer to himself as a stone in this passage. And he tells the parable of the vineyard. So in verses 9 through 16, we're not going to go over the parable just for time's sake, but Jesus tells the parable of the landowner and the vine growers. And he's speaking this parable against the religious leaders and the Pharisees. So basically through this parable, Jesus is saying that the religious leaders and the Pharisees aren't stewarding what God has given them to steward. This is the meaning of the parable. He tells them this parable about this landowner that has given land to these vine growers and, and the vine growers essentially, he sends servants to go and to collect some produce and they reject the servants that he sent and they beat one of them and then he sends his son and they kill the son. So anyway, I wasn't going to go through that, but so anyway, that's the parable. And so he tells this parable essentially, and he's saying to the Pharisees, and they know what he's actually trying to say through this. He's saying, God has given you the church to steward, and you are not stewarding it well. In fact, you've rejected the ones that God has sent, specifically John the Baptist and specifically his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's kind of rebuking them in this parable. So in, how many know that we are called to steward the earth? God has actually called us to steward the earth. In Genesis 1.28, it says, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the whole earth. So God's actually called us to steward the earth. And the best way that we can steward the earth is to bring the kingdom of heaven to it. Amen? The best way that we can steward and be good stewards of what God's given us is to learn how to bring the kingdom of heaven to it. Amen? So Jesus is telling this parable in front of the scribes and Pharisees, and they know that he has spoken this parable against them. They weren't stewarding their leadership roles in a way that honored God, and they were rejecting those sent by God, specifically John the Baptist and Jesus. So Jesus is telling this parable to a mixed crowd. There's people there that wanted to hear him, and there's also Pharisees and scribes mixed in this group who are not necessarily for him. Some of them are absolutely against him. So that takes us, that's the context, that takes us to Luke chapter 20, which is going to be some of the key verses for today. Luke chapter 20, verse 16b, the second half of 16, and we're going to go all the way through 18. So at the end of the parable, basically Jesus says he's going to be rejected and killed at the end of this parable. And so when they heard it, the people said, may it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, what then, that is, what then is this that is written, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118. So something that God spoke to David, a lot of the Psalm are prophetic scriptures. So something that God spoke to David a thousand years ago, he's quoting it and referring to himself, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Then Jesus says something really fascinating, and this is the key scripture for today, verse 18. He says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Let's read it one more time. Do we have that, verse 18? Luke 20, 18. We don't have it. Okay. Everyone who falls on that stone, verse 18, will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like, like dust. So I read that scripture this week on Wednesday, and it just jumped off the page to me. 
And I had no idea what it meant. I was like, I must have missed that one in my previous reading of Luke. And I'm like, I have no idea what this meant. But how many know that scripture is actually meant to be chewed on? It's meant to be chewed on. And when the word meditate in the Old Testament, when David says day and night, I meditate on your word. If you look at the connotation of that word, it's like chewing. It's like day and night, I'm chewing on a word like, God, what does this word mean? Like, I want to get every bit of essence out of what you're saying in this word. So I just, I just felt like I, I need to meditate on this. So I went to bed on, on Wednesday night and I was just meditating on this. Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So I'm just meditating on this and no idea what it means. And I go to sleep. And so that same night, I wake up middle of the night and the Lord starts speaking to me about what this means. So there's two parts of this. He says, but whoever falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And the second part is, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So to understand this, we have to go back 600 years before Jesus spoke these words, all the way to Daniel chapter two. And in Daniel chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Israel has been taken into captivity. This is a really dark time in in Israel's history. They don't really have a country right now. They've been taken as as slaves and into Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar is an ungodly king. So and here's the amazing thing. God gives King Nebuchadnezzar, an ungodly king, a dream from him. How many know we're big on dreams around here? God speaks to us in dreams, amen? He speaks to us in the night. And God gives King Nebuchadnezzar, an ungodly king, a dream about what's to come in the future. And it's a dream with some really high stakes attached. So he brings his, his uh, uh, what do they call them? Magicians and his sorcerers and his, his wise men. And he says, hey, I had this dream and here's the deal. If you can tell me my dream and the interpretation, I'm going to shower you guys with riches. I'm going to shower you guys with honor, and you're going to be, like, known as great. And they're probably thinking, well, that sounds, sounds pretty awesome, right? He says, but here's the next part. If you don't tell me my dream, I'm going to have you torn to pieces, and I'm going to burn down all your houses. They're like, I don't like that part. <laughs> the first part sounded good. That second part's a little scary. If you don't tell me my dream and the interpretation, I'm going to have you torn to pieces and all of your houses burned down. It's for some pretty high stakes, as high as it gets. So the sorcerers and the magicians say this, there's no one on earth who can, who can do this, king. There is no man on earth who can do this. In fact, king, what you're asking, no king has ever asked this before of any person. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't like what he's just heard, and he's a man of his word. He orders all of their execution and for all their houses to be burned down. So now Daniel is, is actually considered one of his wise men, but Daniel is not at this meeting. Daniel hears later what's going on. You're to be executed, you and your three friends, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys are all going to be executed, and all your houses, all the houses of all the magicians, the sorcerers, and the wise men are going to be burned down. So Daniel hears this, and then Daniel goes to his, uh, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, hey, guys, important prayer meeting. We need to pray that God's going to give me this dream and the interpretation, or else we're all going to die. So let's grab, let's join hands. Important pr- How many have, have had meetings, prayer meetings that felt like that? I've had a few. I'm like, God, if you don't come through... It looks like I'm going to die, okay? And so this, they literally had that. They're like, God, okay. And this is interesting. Before that, he actually goes to the king 
And he goes, give me some time, king. Give me some time to get this interpretation for you. Now, this is different than what he's just heard. He's just heard by a whole bunch of people, what you're asking is impossible. Now, Daniel comes and says, just give me some time. Just give me some time. So he's just believing in faith. Like, okay, God, you got to show up. You're going to give me this dream and the interpretation. So they go and they have the, the high stakes prayer meeting. And so God, in that night, they pray that same night, God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. So then Daniel goes to the king to give him the interpretation. By the way, Daniel goes, he tells the guards, he's like, call off the executions. Call off the house burnings. God's given me the dream and the interpretation. So he goes to the king, and this is the dream. So this is Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 35. So he's before the king, and he tells him the dream. So he says, you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until the stone was cut out without hands, until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Amen. Who is the stone? Jesus. This is so awesome. 600 years before Jesus comes to earth, God is giving an ungodly king revelation on what's going to happen through a dream. Now, he could have given it to anybody, right? But God gives this dream to an ungodly king. And if you don't think that God is speaking to our leaders, he is, whether godly or not. In fact, the Bible says all authority is appointed by God. So we need to pray for our leaders regardless of if we voted for them or not. We need to pray and bless our leaders and we need to believe that God is speaking to them. And, and the word says in Proverbs, it says that God guides the hearts of kings like water. So we need to pray that they're hearing the voice of God and he's guiding their heart. Amen. So God gives an ungodly king 600 years before Jesus an insight on that Jesus is coming. Jesus is the rock that's gonna cover the whole earth. Amen. He says, he tells the interpretation to the king. He says, the gold head represents you, King Nebuchadnezzar. The silver and the bronze pieces represents inferior kingdoms that will come after you. Finally, there's going to be a fourth kingdom, and it's going to be as strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will cut, crush and break all others. And this is the Roman Empire. This is, remember, it said the legs and the feet were iron, and the stone came where? Crashed into the feet crashed into the feet, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at that time, of course, you know, was trying to just take over the whole world. So then the stone became a mountain that covered the whole earth. So this is a picture of, of that, all those kingdoms, God sending Jesus and all those kingdoms become dust. All those kingdoms become dust. And that stone, Jesus Christ, 
has a kingdom that will last forever and that covers the whole entire earth. Amen? So that explains the second part of Luke chapter 2018. It says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And the second half says, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. That's Jesus Christ coming to the earth, scattering the kingdoms of this earth to dust and establishing his kingdom of heaven that, by the way, we're a part of and we get to be a part of stewarding that kingdom and bringing it to earth. And his kingdom is coming to earth and it forms this mountain that, that uh, covers the whole earth, amen? And we're a part of it. So Jesus refers to himself as the stone which the builders rejected. And he says, on whomever that stone falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus is the stone that destroys all previous kingdoms and establishes the kingdom of heaven, which will cover the whole earth and last forever. So that explains the second part. Now, what about the first part? The first part is everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Now, this is the part when I woke up that night that the Lord started speaking to me. And it was just so powerful. I was just so thankful. Often God speaks to me in the middle of the night or when I, as I'm waking up and my mind hasn't totally kicked on yet. And it's like he, he has some more room to kind of speak to me in those moments. And so I woke up and he starts speaking to me about this first part of the verse. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. In the Passion Translation, it gives us a little clue. It says, everyone who falls in humility upon that stone will be broken to pieces. So this is what the Lord showed me. Falling on Jesus is a picture of our salvation. Since he cannot be moved, he cannot be changed when we fall on him, we are the ones who are changed. We are the ones who are changed. When we come to him and we receive him, we're broken into pieces and he rebuilds us back the way that he wants us to be. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. He takes the broken pieces of us and makes us into a whole new creation. Now here's the really amazing part. When you come to Christ and you're broken into pieces, there's pieces of you that never get reattached to you that he removes from you forever. And there's new pieces that he adds to you that weren't there before you came to him. And he recreates you. It says literally in that translation, we are a completely new creation when we come to Christ. We're broken into pieces and he removes things permanently off of us and he adds things that weren't there to us. Hallelujah. So we need to know what's been added and what's been taken away. Amen. So I just start asking the Lord for insight. We need to know what God's broken off of us and what he's added to us when we were recreated in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now that you are in Christ, he has transformed you, and he has empowered you to live a whole new life. You're a completely new creation. So here's some things that he broke off of us. This is not a comprehensive list, by the way. But these are just some things that 
the Lord highlighted to me. I have three things that he broke off of us and then three things that he's added to us. So what has he broken off of us? Number one, he has broken off the old man. You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. I want to read Romans chapter 6. This is going to set some people free this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. How many know you are no longer a slave to sin? That's part of what got broken off of you permanently. The old man, the sin nature has been broken off of you. You are dead to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. Verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. You're dead. You died. And you got recreated in Christ and you're now freed from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, let this pierce your heart this morning. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Do you consider yourself as dead to sin? Paul says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Paul had, a, if you read, the Rome, read Romans and you read it with the lens of grace, you see all these people come to him with these questions about sin and he keeps saying, stop focusing on sin, you're dead to sin. You're a righteousness now. And they're like, but what about my, he's like, you're dead to sin. There's something in just realizing the truth that sets you free, amen? Focusing on sin is never gonna set you free. Focusing on who you truly are and the truth will set you free. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. When you came to Christ, you were broken into pieces and that sin nature got broken off permanently. Colossians 3.3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You have died <laughs> and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Sin is permanently broken off of you. The old man has died. You are now a new creation. Your sin nature has been put to death. Am I saying that you can't sin? No, we all know that we can sin. We know that, right? We can all blow our lives up with sin. What I'm saying is that your new nature has a propensity towards righteousness. Your old nature that had a propensity towards sin is dead. And you now have a new nature that has a propensity towards righteousness. Before I turned my life to the Lord, I had no problem with sin. I had no problem with it. I could sin and it wasn't an issue. Didn't even think of it as sin. It was just what I did. When I started turning my life towards the Lord and started pursuing God, sin became torment. Why? Because I had a whole new nature and I was rebelling against my nature. I had a new nature. My sin nature was dead. And any time that I was entering into sin, I was rebelling against my nature of righteousness. You no longer have a propensity towards sin. You now have a propensity towards righteousness. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace. 
now you are righteous. There's not one scripture in the New Testament that refers to a Christian as a sinner. Every time it refers to a Christian in the New Testament, it says you are righteous, you are a son, and you are, there's one more, and I'm forgetting, saint, thank you, saint. This is your new identity. Sinner broke, was broken off of you. If you believe you're a sinner, you'll sin by faith. But if you understand that you're righteous, you will rise up in that. So you don't need to waste any more time worrying or feeling ashamed about your past because that part of you is now dead and you're a whole new creation. It might be a sad story, but that part of you is dead and you're a whole new creation in Christ. The enemy will always try to convince you that the old man is still alive. And he tries to convince you that that's who you really are. But the truth is, you're an entirely new creation in Christ. Amen? And it's the truth that sets you free. So number one, when you came to Jesus, you were broken into pieces. And one of the things that got permanently broken off of you was the old man, your sin nature. Number two, a second thing that was permanently broken off of you is shame. Shame's been permanently broken off of you because Jesus Christ bore your shame. He bore your shame. Hebrews 12, 2. I think we have it for the screens. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despises shame. He hates it. That's why he took your shame so that in him, shame has been dealt with and it's permanently broken off of you. He took it on your behalf. Who's the rock of our salvation? Jesus, I'm relying on what he did 100% on the cross and he took my shame for me so that I don't have to live with shame. He broke shame permanently off of my life. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Are you guys awake this morning? One person. <laughs> this is good news. This is such good news. Sometimes, you know, I don't know if I should go there. Yeah, before I understood grace, man, I used to read scriptures like that and just be scared of, of God. Like, what, what does that mean? He who comes to me is going to be shattered into pieces and, and, and whoever I fall on is going to be crushed into dust. And it's so powerful what the scripture means. Crushed into dust is Jesus coming and destroying the kingdoms of this earth and establishing his kingdom that's gonna last forever. And whoever is coming to him that's broken into pieces is a picture of him breaking all those things, junk off of our life, recreating us and adding all the, this amazing things that's part of him to us. Where were we? <laughs> Jesus despises shame, amen. Brene Brown, she spent several years researching shame. What was it, like seven years? Seven years she, she researched shame and what that does to, to a person. And this is one of her quotes about shame. She says, shame is a powerful emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. It's the fear that we're not good enough. 
the lie that we're not good enough wars against the truth of what God's done in our life. I want to read Romans 8.15, and I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. I read it a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Romans 8.15, Passion Translation. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, For as he rises up within you, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. Beloved father, the the truth is shame's been permanently broken off of you. That feeling of never being good enough has been broken off of you. And you've now received the spirit of full acceptance, fully loved, fully accepted because of the rock of Jesus Christ, depending completely on what he did on the cross. It's not 5% me and 95% Jesus that gets me to heaven or does anything in my life. Paul says this, and I uh, forget what, one, some scripture in the Bible, Paul says this. He, he, says, um, he says, you that feel like you came to Christ, he's talking to these people, he's like, you guys feel like God got you into salvation, but now somehow you feel like you have to work to earn and to secure your salvation. He's like, if he did it to get you there, then there's nothing you can do to keep yourself there. Okay, that's a really paraphrased version of, of, that, of that verse, but, but that's what it's saying. He's like, stop worrying about securing your salvation. God got you there, and there's nothing you can do to keep yourself there. He'll keep you there. He is the rock of your salvation. Thank you, Jesus. So shame has been broken off of you. Number one, the old man has been broken off of you. Number two, shame. It's been broken off of you. Jesus hates shame. One, one saying my wife and I don't like is shame on you because Jesus paid a huge price to get shame off of you. I'm not gonna try to put shame on back on anybody when Jesus took it off of you. Jesus broke it off of you permanently. Number three, and this I feel like we're supposed to go after this this morning, fear. Fear has been permanently broken off of you. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God's not given us a spirit of fear or intimidation. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Fear has been permanently broke off of you. And Jesus, Jesus broke fear off of you, and he gave us authority, full authority over fear. But we have to rise up and exercise the authority that's been given us. I want to share a testimony, and this is some that if you guys have been here a long time, you've heard this, but I know there's, there's a lot of people who haven't heard this testimony. And this is one of my life testimonies. There's, there's so many that my wife and I have that are like life testimonies. They're the reason that we're here. And this is one of my life testimonies. Without this happening, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you today. So this was, I think, about eight years ago. And my whole life, I'm 42 now, so it would have been 34. I'm trying to do math. 34 at the time, and it's a couple years before we started this church. And my whole life I had this, as long as I could remember, I had this fear groups even in social settings, and I had um, fear of authority figures, specifically male authority figures. I would have, I'd be intimidated around them. I'd just be like, oh, I can't get my words out. I'm tripping over my words when I'm in front of these male authority figures. And I just thought my whole life, I thought, well, it's just something I got to overcome, be more confident. I read books about confidence and all this stuff and didn't seem to really help. 
And it was strange. We were leading worship at the time. And sometimes I would just be, we would start worship and I just, I just feel extremely intimidated all of a sudden, like right before worship, I'd be like, oh my goodness. And I remember even one time that was kind of just stuck out to me is we were in front of a group of, of uh, our team, which was like 20 people that just all knew us and loved us. And I get in front of them and I'm just like terrified to speak in front of them. I'm like, what is wrong with me? These people all love me. Like, so what I just thought, this is something I got to deal with, just become more confident. So one day I come home and my wife says, hey, I, I saw this teaching and I really think you should watch it. Man, how many know sometimes the voice of our wife is like the voice of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Sometimes, you know, and I've had to I've had to get over my pride a lot of times. And know that the voice of my wife a lot of times is very much, very similar to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So she's like, I, I saw this teaching and I feel like you should watch it. So I watched this teaching and the teaching is about the spirit of fear and intimidation. I get done watching this teaching and light bulb went on. I was like, oh my goodness. My whole life, I felt like this is something I have to overcome. And I didn't know the whole time. It's a spiritual force of fear and intimidation actually bothering me. And I knew it was clear as day. I was like, that's what it is. It was like in the message, it made it very clear. It was like, this is what you're experiencing. This is what it looks like. And I was like, check, 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 check. So the next day, I can't remember what I, where I was going, but I remember where I was. I was driving on 7th Street coming south, coming up to Deer Valley. And I was just kind of praying and I just like rose up this boldness just rose up in me and I started just shouting to the Lord just praying but just like it was like shouts and something just welled up inside of me and I just said in the name of Jesus and I'm shouting this and by the way you don't have to shout at the devil but that's just where I was at this moment I just said in the name of Jesus I command you spirit of fear and intimidation go and when I said that I literally felt a presence lift off of me and feel like it just came right out of me and lifted off of me Amen. I'd never experienced that before, and I've never experienced it since, to feel an actual presence lift off of me. And simultaneously, this is what the Lord showed me. Simultaneously, this all happened within a matter of seconds. This thing lifts off of me. God shows me David. He shows me David and Goliath. And do you know, by the way, the spirit of fear and intimidation was why people were terrified. The whole nation was terrified of Goliath. It wasn't because he was so intimidating. It was because a literal spirit of fear and intimidation came over a whole nation, including Saul. Because this didn't even make sense. Like whenever God said to, to fight, they would always win, right? So, but the whole nation was terrified of this guy. And David shows up. And if you read, next time you read, read it in this context. This is like a joke to David. He shows up and this is a joke to him that like everybody's terrified of this one man. And he's like, basically, if you read it, he's like, who's going to go kill this fool? Somebody needs to go shut him up. He's speaking against God. He's like, this is a joke. He's coming against God. He's like talking down about God. Who's going to go kill this guy? Okay, nobody's going to do it. Oh, what? The, whoever defeats him gets in the kingdom? Well, that's where I'm headed anyway. He had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. 
So he comes with the anointing of God on him and he doesn't have that spirit of fear and intimidation. And we know this story, he kills Goliath. And all this was like a flash. This thing lifts off of me. God shows me that picture and he says, look what one man can do without fear and intimidation. Look what one man can do. Simultaneously, this all happens all at once. The spirit of joy hits me. I'd never experienced that before in my life. The spirit of joy hits me. I start laughing hysterically. I can't stop laughing. I'm laughing so much that I pull off the road and park. And I'm laughing hysterically for five minutes. People that saw me must have thought I was insane. I'm laughing. And it's like a spirit of joy hit me. And it was like, I'd never experienced that in my life. So simultaneously, this thing leaves. God shows me that picture. And the spirit of joy hits me. I felt like Superman after that happened. It was like a switch got flipped in me. I was no longer intimidated. I mean, it was like, it wasn't a gradual thing. It was instant. It was like, I could speak in front of groups, no problem. I could talk to men in authority, no problem. No more tripping over my words, no fear, no intimidation, completely gone. So I feel like we have to go after that today and we are gonna go after that. Amen. Fear has been broken off of you. And you know, fear is so tormenting. It's so tormenting. And I feel like God even showed me this week, just even just for a second, I, I remembered what it was like to have that fear. And it was like, I feel like God was even just showing me like how tormenting that, that is. And just that, that there are people that are oppressed by that and you don't have to be. It's been broken off of your life. So you don't have to live with fear any longer. Jesus has paid the price for fear. And so we're gonna go after fear today. So he's broken off the old man. He's broken off shame. He's broken off fear. What has he added to you? So when you came to him, you shattered into pieces and he removed some of those pieces permanently and he added some new things to you when he recreated you. What has been added to you? Number one, this is what has been added to you when you came to Christ. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. It's not your righteousness. It's not your righteousness. There's that scripture that says, people always point to that scripture, but our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we're filthy rags. Yes, absolutely true. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why he gave you his. He gave you his righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. You're not relying on your righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. If that doesn't seem real to you, you need to chew on that one over and over. And, and I'm saying that from experience. I used to read that scripture and it didn't feel true in my heart. And I just chewed on it and chewed on it and chewed on it hundreds of times a day. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, that scripture in its, in its fullness. And one day it dropped from my mind to my heart. And I knew, wow, it's really true. I'm really the righteousness of God in Christ. It got added to me when I came to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I wanna read the Passion Translation, that same verse. It says, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Before we came to Christ, we didn't know righteousness. 
It wasn't a part of who we are. After we came to Christ, righteousness was added to us through our union with Christ. Amen? Righteousness has been added to you. When you receive Jesus, he attached a new piece to you called the righteousness of God. This is your new identity. The righteousness of God in Christ. When you sin, you're going against your true nature. That's why sin is not fun as a believer. You're like, man, I could, I used to be able to do that and it wasn't a thing. But now it's like tormenting because you're going against your nature. Your new nature is righteousness. Thank you. So what's been added to you? Number one, righteousness has been added to you. Number two, authority. Authority has been added to you. Luke 10, 19. This is Jesus empowering all believers. He says, behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. Behold, I give you authority over how much power of the enemy? All the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus Christ added authority to you when you came to him over the power of the enemy. You now have authority over fear, oppression, sickness, and over every enemy of the cross. Jesus added authority to you when you came to him. So what else was added to us? The righteousness of God in Christ was added. Authority was added over all the power of the enemy. And by the way, that's what happened that day when I was driving down 7th Street. I just rose up in the authority that I had all along and took authority over the power of fear and it broke that fear off my life permanently. What else has been added to you? Number three, sonship. Sonship. I, I think I said it this morning in prayer, but I keep feeling like in my prayer times, this season, it's so important to rise up in sonship. It's so important to rise up in your identity as a son. We need to leave behind every bit of orphan mentality. That stuff and that junk was broken off of you when you came to Christ and sonship was added to you. And in every area of our life where we feel like an orphan, we need to go after it. We need to go after sonship and rise up in our true identity as sons, dearly beloved sons. Those who have received the spirit of full acceptance and folded into the family of God. And it says that, that verse again, Romans 8, 15, you'll never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, you're a son. And sonship has been attached to you. You're now part of the family of God. God has territory for you to take this year, but you need to rise up in the spirit of sonship in order to take it. I know there was a word spoken, uh, the Lord spoke directly to my wife and just said, I'm getting ready to promote you to a place where you don't feel worthy of and you need to look at that. 
You need to look at that because every area where we're feeling like an orphan, we're not seeing ourselves as God sees us and it hinders what he wants to do in our life. You know what God's looking for? People that think like him. People that see the truth the way he sees it. When we begin to see things the way he sees it, he's like, there's someone who can steward my blessings because they think like me. They know the truth and then he's able to pour out on us and he wants to pour out on us. He's just waiting for us to rise up in sonship. He wants us to get it because the more that we rise up in sonship, the more that we can steward. Amen. When you came to Christ, you were broken into pieces and he added sonship to you and he recreated you. Luke 20, 18, everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. I want to read Romans 8, 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Let me read it again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. It's a beautiful thing to be broken into pieces and to be recreated into the image of Christ. It's a really beautiful thing. You've been conformed to the image of his son. So I feel like we're supposed to go after fear today. We're supposed to go after shame today and we're supposed to go after condemnation. And I'd like, um, go ahead and um, we can put on some music and altar team come forward. We want to pray for you this morning. And let's just go ahead and bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that when we came to you, we were broken into pieces. We thank you that shame was broken off of our life. We thank you that sin was broken off of our life. We thank you that righteousness was added to our life. We thank you, God that you've added the righteousness of God and Christ to our life. We thank you that you've added sonship to our life. So Father God, I just declare in this place, God, that condemnation from the enemy that's been holding people back is coming down right now in Jesus' name. Father God, I just declare that you're doing a work right now and that you are breaking the back of fear over people in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. God, I just thank you that you're causing us this year to rise up in son sonship, rise up in righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to fear, but now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We've been given authority over all the power of the enemy.